Well, here we are in Psalm uh, 64, and I will try to, it's warm out there, I'll try to make this short, but I really want to make sure that as we go through this today, as you read through the Psalms and as we have kind of uh, looked at different Psalms, you'll notice in every Psalm, pinched somewhere in the middle almost of every song, uh, Psalm, there is a story about your enemy and my enemy. And he is real. Uh, I remember books said Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. And uh, I think that we need to realize that. And when I was preparing this message, and I, I, I knew a long time ago uh, that I was going to look at it, and uh, something came to me. My sister came from uh, Atlanta, and she came up and lived with us, or stayed with us for about a week, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And she told me a story about her pastor. And her pastor had just finished writing a book, and his name is Louis Giglio. I don't know if any of you have heard of Louis Giglio. He's well known throughout the country. And he tells a story uh, in, in this book when he first started out. And the story was that he had been attacked by a lot of the people in the church. A lot of people had been attacking him for being so bold in what he was saying. And he was quite disturbed. He felt there was a lot of lies, a lot of false truths being said or false things being said. And nobody, nobody he couldn't prove the truth to him. And uh, he then, six months later, some of the people that were uh, attacking him came before God and saw that there was a repentance that they needed to do. And they went to Louis. And they wrote him, and they told him that we were wrong. We were wrong in our attack. We were wrong in a lot of things we said. I don't even know that they were factual information. So when Louis gets the information, he is absolutely just excited on one hand, but on the other hand, there is a, wow. So he calls his best friend, who is accountable to him, and, he's, and he texts him because he wouldn't answer, and he texted him, and he told him that these people had confessed. He, he, he wanted to you know, say, I told you so, and he, and, he, and he went on to say, it's about time that the truth got sent out. And he waited. And he waited. He said, I, this is not like my friend. Normally, he will text me right back. So he decided, I will just resend the text. So he resent the text. Nothing. His friend said nothing. And he said, it, maybe it was five minutes. It seemed like two days to him. And all his friend sent back was nine words. He sent back nine words, and Louis Giglio, in his late 50s, said these nine words changed my life from that day on. And I've never been the same since that day. And the nine words were this. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Let me see if I can illustrate this to you. Uh, a lot of times when I was first starting out in uh, just kind of my ministry, I got carried away by a lot of activity, thinking that the more you did, the more valuable you were and stuff. And so I, 
I did a lot of things, said yes to everything that I could say yes to. And I got a note that was sent to me, uh, actually mailed to me by my wife. And she mailed the note to me, and in, in short, she just said that, I know this is not what you agreed to, I know this is not what you want, but our life is drifting away from each other. I have that note in my desk, I've kept it for 40 years. So what I did is I decided, all right, things are going to change. And I did a couple of things. Number one, I, I put uh, a phone line that she could get to me at any time she wanted to. Uh, that was before we had cell phones. And I decided to fix a table. And I prepared a table for us. And I got real creative. And I was fixing the finest foods that I knew she liked. And I got the flowers she would like. And, and I just made it as nice as I could make it. And I picked out what her favorite wine might be. And we sat it down there. And I sat down with her. And I said, honey, I have wronged you. And I want you to know that I love you. I love you. And nobody else comes before you. Nothing comes before you. Just, just a minute, honey. i got to grab this just a second. No. No, I'm not that busy right now. No. No, what, what do you need? I just gave the enemy a seat at the table, didn't I? Sometimes it isn't maybe your cell phone. Sometimes it's just the distraction. Sometimes it's not as obvious as ringing and grabbing. Sometimes we just do this. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. But this is what it means to give the enemy a seat at your table. The scripture says that you prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love what the Proverbs 9 says in the message. The banquet meal is ready to be served. Lamb has been roasted, wine's been poured out, the table's been set with silver and flowers. Having dismissed her maids, are you confused about your life? Don't know what's going on. Come with me. Come, have dinner with me, just you and me. I've prepared a wonderful spread. Fresh baked bread, roast lamb, carefully selected wines. Leave your impoverished confusion and live with me. Walk up to the streets of the life with real meaning. Do you guys know your enemy? I think one of the key things in any type of a warfare that I have seen where I see good movies and good generals and stuff, they are familiar with their enemy. The scripture says, don't be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. Don't be ignorant of how he works. And he works in very, very uh, hidden ways. In Psalm 64, if you'll look at Psalm 64... We're going to look at this. I think it's a, an incredible psalm of showing some of the methods of the enemy. But before we do, I want you to know that most of the time God does this purposely. In this Psalm 1, or Psalm 64, verse 1, and all the way back to the last verse 10, there is a lifting up and an elevating and a crying out to God, the true deliverer. You've got the beginning that says, Hear my voice, O God. In my complaint, preserve my life from the dread of this enemy. And then he goes on, he says, preserve my life from the dread of this enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of these evildoers, from the torment or the crowd of those that do iniquity. They sharpen their tongue like a sword. They aim bitter speech as their arrows. 
to shoot from a place of concealment at your blameless. Suddenly they shoot at us and they do not fear. They hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly and they say, who can see us? Who can see us? You see, the enemy is a liar. It says he is a murderer from the beginning. He is the father of lies. Every single thing that comes out of his mouth is lying. The difference that you will see is the enemy always uses truth and mixes it. He uses scripture and mixes it. When Jesus was talking to the enemies back in that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were being influenced by darkness, they were using scripture all the time. They were holding on to the religiosity of saying somehow you can live life apart from being connected to the vine. You can do it by your own works. And so there were subtle things. Take the verses and then go ahead and throw something there. He's subtle. And he's subtle with his attacks. In Proverbs 16, 28, it says, The slander separates intimate friends. I have mentioned this before up here this whole year. I don't want to wear it out, but it seems to be right in front of our faces over and over. I very seldom ever listen to news. I very seldom ever go in social media and look up things. And last night, I was uh, waiting for watching some of the Olympics, and some news came on. So I couldn't help it. And I realized that now here we are a, a year later, and there's still unbelievable controversy between what's going on with the COVID virus or with the vaccine or not. And this verse came to mind that said, the slander... He separates intimate friends. Over the year, I have seen incredible godly people, parents, being divided between their children. I've seen physicians divided between other physicians. I've seen politicians who understood and respected the other place now will not talk to one another. I've seen slander come to such a degree that it is absolutely shocking to me that we do not see who the enemy is. We are so fixed on what we believe that we're blinded. In John, it says you, you become blinded because you have not recognized. The scripture says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. That there is an enemy that has a chain of command in his thing. He has hierarchies and principalities and powers and dominions and demons. And he works behind things and he works from a place of deception. He doesn't come out normally with a pitchfork and all of this fiery gossip and, and all of this uh, hatred that's so obvious. He comes from a place of concealment. His whole idea is to help you and I act independent of God on our own resources, and begin to see that everybody else is your enemy. In my counseling, in 40 years of counseling where I work, I would say that I am not exaggerating to say that over half, 50%, if not 70% of the people that come in to the office and their life is falling apart, something's not going well with them, they come in, and when I ask, what can I do for you, the majority of them want me to change somebody else. If you could change my boss, I live with a spouse that's just not loving the way that I read in the Bible. My kids don't honor me anymore. My kids are doing some things that I, I cannot believe what they're doing. And we, we are disguised, or we're, we're deceived into thinking that that person is your enemy. 
And as long as you think that person is your enemy, you are stuck. And I can tell you that from experience. People that saw me at 20 years old when I started are now 60. Those that are still pointing the finger at and think that the enemy is flesh and blood are still caught and bound in the same trap they were before. Our enemy, it says, don't be so surprised, it says that, he, that these angels disguise himself with, with, uh, as angels of light, or Satan disguised himself as angels of light. He said, and don't be so surprised if his servants also disguise himself acting with deeds of righteousness and religiosity. He's a deceiver. The word schemes in the Bible, where it has two verses where it says schemes. One is the schemes are the thoughts in your mind. And the second word of schemes is basically the, the, uh, the hidden, the, the trickiness. You see, he's after your mind. It, but I want you to understand, we, at our pastor's meeting this week, uh, I think Nick raised the question, Ben. I can't remember if you or Nick did, but he said, well, I'll tell you what, I think there is also an awful lot of people that can become your enemy. And I don't disagree as I looked into the scriptures and looked in Ephesians and Corinthians chapter 4. It says, men that are darkened in their understanding, who have given themselves over the darkness, that I believe Satan uses them as a tool to come and shoot his arrows at you. But I want you to note something. There is never only merely a human enemy. There's always the deceiver and the enemy that is Satan behind it and his dominions and principalities. If you will fight the right fight, you might win. He said, well, obviously, it sure seems like these people are enemies. Reminds me of a story where the boxer, he, he was out boxing, and he came back t t to his corner, and he sat down. He was just tired, exhausted. He had been getting hit all over, and his, his uh, coach says, you're doing awesome out there. You're doing awesome. He's not laying a hand on you. The bell rings, and he gets up, and he turns around and says, well, then somebody keep an eye on the ref, because somebody's beating me up out there. But if you get caught just thinking it's a ref, you're in trouble. You're going to be caught. We don't wrestle against just flesh and blood. Piper made a comment the other day. I was listening to this, and he said, thousands of Christians simply default to watching the news and social media they're not even aware yet or awakened to what's happening to them. The fact that they would res resent someone even dis or someone's discontent with their time spent on entertainment is simply more evidence of how profoundly saturated we have become with the spirit of this age. I want to give you something that's been really helpful to me. There was a man named Bill Gillum, and he became a good friend of mine. He has since passed away. And I remember we were up here in the hills, matter of fact, uh, not very far from here, and we were staying in the cabin. And I was talking about the enemy, and I was saying, what have you found to be one of your most useful tools in fighting against this enemy, since we know that that is mainly this spiritual world? And he said, there were three things that stood out to me that have been helpful, and I have used this since that day that I visited with him. He said, remember this, underneath the umbrella of who he is, he is a murderer. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he's the father of lies, and his native language is lying. Anything that comes out of his mouth is lying. 
And underneath that, he has a lot of names, but three main names when it comes to his attack on you and me. The first one is that he is the tempter of the brethren. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not wrong. But he knows you. He'll look at Donovan and he'll know. He'll shoot an arrow at Donovan. He'll tempt him with one of his schemes, usually in the mind. And he will tempt Donovan with things he won't tempt me with. He will tempt Ben with things he won't tempt me with. He knows me. Don't think you're so smart that you can outsmart him. He is brilliant. He's one of God's creations and one of the biggest and greatest creation. But he will tempt you. And he'll shoot the temptation at you. And it says Jesus was tempted in every way. He tempted him all the time. The comfort I can give to you is that if you've been tempted, you can know this. Jesus absolutely understands it. And he knows it. Second thing he said, he is the deceiver. He is the deceiver of the brethren. I found it interesting as I looked in the book of Revelation, and it comes down to the last days, and it says, and he, Satan, the evil one, will be tied up, wrapped up, and threw, thrown into the pit so that he will not deceive my people any longer. Then after a thousand years, he will be let out, it said, and he will come out to deceive my people. And then at the end, when he is destroyed forever, it says he will no longer be able to deceive. Folks, I want you to understand that your enemy, his greatest weapon against you is to deceive you. He is to lie to you, and the two things he will lie to you the most about is who God is and who you are. And he does it in your mind. It's a, it's a, it's a clever little thing, and it'll sound just like you sometimes, but you'll make those comments and you'll make comments and you'll think, oh my gosh. And so what he wants to do is deceive you. He shoots the arrow from a place of concealment so that you don't know it's him. He conceals and deceives, thinking it's your thought. And then he makes you think it's you. And he instantly tries to deceive you. And if you are deceived at that point, thinking it's your thought, then the last name comes. He is the accuser of the brethren. He comes night and day accusing you before the throne room and saying, that you are no good, that God didn't pick a good choice. And so then he accuses you. Let me show you how this lives out. I often say this, matter of fact, I think I've been saying it every time I speak lately, is confession is good for your soul, but it's really not very good for your reputation. But I, years and years ago, I think it was 26 years ago, uh, we had, I brought on a guy on staff. I just loved him. He was just one of the neatest guys. I said, well, this is, this is a A guy. This, this is a class guy. And uh, he was having difficulty uh, raising his funds because we have a support system in our ministry. And I wanted him so bad to get his support. And I knew that I wanted him so bad. But not very long after that, a guy comes in, and he wants counsel, and he and his wife said, we, we would like to have counseling, and he gets assigned to me, and I'm visiting with him and his wife, and somehow God just lifted the veil off his eyes, and God began to use some of the scriptures that were placed on our heart, and they just said, this was absolutely so freeing. You've pointed us to God. God has become our source of joy. We're no longer looking for each other to change. We're realizing that God wants to empower us to be the kind of husband that I can be and for her to be the kind of wife. And by the way, 
how are you guys financed here? Because we have really, really laid on our heart to give a big monthly donation. So I went ahead and said, well, this is how we're financed. About a week later, I look on my sheet and I notice I don't have that big donation coming in. And my friend, who now comes to me and says, you wouldn't believe what happened. This guy gave this big donation. He said, it's going to be a monthly donation for me. This was a guy that I've counseled. I was tempted at this point. And the words came into my mind that I believed was mine. I did the work. Why, why is he given to him? And then I would oh, get accused, or the brethren would accuse me, and I'd say, oh my gosh, and say, how are you even acting like a Christian? How are you going ahead and leading this? Aren't you, aren't you happy that he was... And I'd go on, and I went on and back and forth and back and forth of this for probably two weeks. And this came to mind, and I thought, what in the world is going on? And I went back, and because I realized, I said, wait a minute. I'm fighting a fight after the accusation. I'm fighting a fight that I have to repent, fall to my knees, confess, get up, repent, fall to my knees, confess, get up. And I said, this is not the way God designed us to fight our enemies. So I went back and said, I cannot help the temptation, but I can do this. You will not deceive me ever again. That is not my heart. My heart longed for this person to have an extra income. I was fine with what I was getting. That is not me. That is not my thought. I disown that thought in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan, get out of here. You have no claim to that thought in my mind. And at that moment, he could no longer accuse me. At that moment, my life began to change to joy and thanksgiving, and I could rejoice with what God had done in his life. Does that make sense to you how that works? You can't do anything about the temptation of this enemy. And he's clever. But you can do something about this. If you know who your God is, and you know who you are, because your God has told you, you who you are, then anything that comes into your mind that's inconsistent with that is not from you. You don't originate these thoughts. God said, I've placed in you the mind of Christ. I've put in you a heart of love and holiness. You have the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's who you are if you have come to faith. So any thought that begins to be consistent of that, I tell you that don't fall for the deceiver. He's a liar. And he lies. If we go to that place... Then we can go to the remaining part of this chapter, and I want to come and make sure we end on what I think is the greatest thing of, the, of this whole psalm. After this, he says this, But God will shoot at them an arrow. He will suddenly wound them. So they will make him stumble. Their own tongue will be against them, and he who sees them will shake their head. Then all men will fear and will declare the work of God and will consider what he has done. And the righteous man will be glad in the Lord and will take refuge in him. And all the upright in heart will glory. 
listen to this. I want you just to, to listen to these words that were written to you. It says these things were written not only for them, but for those that would believe in the future. That is you. There will be justice. He is faithful and he'll bring forth justice in heaven and he'll establish justice in this earth. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you righteous. I will also hold you by the hand and I will watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant of my people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes to see you, to bring out prisoners from the dungeons and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. There is none like me. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And the Lord will go forth for you like a warrior. He will arouse himself as a man of war. He will utter a shout saying, he will raise a war cry and he will prevail against these enemies. These are the things I will do and I will not leave them undone until I'm finished. What an incredible, powerful word. In conclusion, I want you to see there, I think I've included Psalm 149. Is that, do you guys have that down there? Let me explain this, and I think that I want to make sure we don't miss this. We've talked about the enemy. We've talked about his schemes. We've talked about that he's alive. We've talked about that he is constantly attacking you. But I want you to understand, when Job went through all that Job went through, he never talked about the enemy. He kept his eyes on God, and these are the things that I want you to realize. Yes, don't be ignorant of the schemes. Don't be weary of that war. I want you to realize what God has done. In the book of Luke, he, in, the, in Luke, he says this, I was watching like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will injure you anymore. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that all the spirits are subject to you. But when you rejoice, rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. That basically means that our rejoicing is to rejoice in God and who he is and what he's done. In this psalm that I wrote down for you to look at here in Psalm 149, this was absolutely exciting for me when this was explained to me. And it says this, Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. So they will execute vengeance or punishment on the enemies and punishment on the people to bind their kings with nobles. And that word kings is false gods. And their nobles with fetters of irons to execute on them the judgment that's been written against them. This is an honor for all of his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Here's what that is saying. It's saying this. When you're under attack, when you identify rightly who the enemy is because you know rightly who God is and rightly who you are, it says that it's been placed in our life, it's been placed in our hands, two things. One is that you'll become a people of thanksgiving and praise. You'll begin to praise God for everything that you see. And the more you praise him for what you see, the more he opens your eyes to see more to praise him. 
the more that you begin to exalt him and brag on him in your own heart or just in your own joy, praise him. And it says, and by the word of God that's in your other hand, if you will then take the word of God and hold up those things that Satan has put against you. It says, we're taking every thought that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we're holding them captive by the word of God. Here's what it says will happen. On that day when he hung on the cross and he had his arms strung out like this and he said, it is finished. It is finished. I got what I went after. I got you people that I died for. I paid the penalty. And also to the enemies, he said, and at that hour, in that moment, he made a public display of them, hanging them in the heavens. And then at the end here, it says this, do you know that you and I, as his saints, if we will recognize this and we will praise and we will hold these things up, he has already written a sentence against these spiritual dominions and principalities and demons. You and I help carry out that sentence with your praise. When we praise God, it's carried out. These demons flee from you and they go to where God has assigned them to go. It is a fascinating privilege. But the focus here is on the fact that all you can do in this is praise God, honor him, and hold up the word. I've handed you sheets to look at. Don't do them now. Sometime in this next month, I want you to look and it says, these are the things that are true about God. And they're just a small amount. And then it's going to tell you the things that God says are true about you. If that thought comes into your mind, that arrow comes into your mind, that temptation, I'm just no good. I'm just an ignorant person anymore. I can't do anything. That's inconsistent with what God has said. You're, Bill, you're adequate. That word adequate doesn't make good sense today. When we say, oh, you're adequate, that's a bummer. That word, actually, when God wrote it, says you're perfectly suited for anything that I've called you do, to do. I'm perfectly suited to somehow have to walk upon this stage now. I'm going to take my shoes off later on and do that. So would you bow with me as the band comes up? And I want you to enter into these songs. These songs are for you to stand and rise and give thanks to God. Father, thank you that you go before us and you fight our enemies. We have nothing with which to war against but you. And yet you've given us a, 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 the right to do so. You said that you saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and you've given us authority to tread upon them. And that authority is you, not us. That authority is you and your life and your blood that was sacrificed. Help us walk in victory and no longer give in to this deceitful liar. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.